All right, there we go. Hello, everyone. How's it going? Team here, and this is BXGS Weekly, episode 140, bringing you all the best JavaScript news of the week in a podcast form. And uh, yeah, we got some stuff today. Um, again, I'm not even sure what's going on, but there hasn't been that much stuff lately. But uh, yeah, we do have quite a few articles that are pretty cool this time around. So let's get cracking right away. Um, as usual, the first section of the week is getting started. We got five articles here, and uh, some of those are really, really good. Starting with 3x smaller Lambda artifacts by removing junk from node modules. So this one is so essentially a tutorial uh, guiding you through the things you can do to decrease your node module size for deployments on Lambda systems. I mean, in this specific case, the author talks about Amazon Web Services, but as you know, you know, um, as you know, this is a thing that is available basically in most, um, what do you call it, platforms, right? So there's Azure uh, functions, there's Google functions, whatever there's, I think most of them have them now. And more often than not, you want your function to be as small as possible, right? And uh, using stuff in your uh, project, well, you're obviously going to use some stuff like Amazon Web Services SDK, for example, and so on and so forth. And most of those have some dev dependencies that you typically don't need. Then you have the cache, then you have the typings, and you can throw all of that away to decrease your uh, zip size almost by three times in the case of the author, which is uh, quite convenient. So if you're working or thinking of working with uh, Lambda functions and wanted to optimize your code size, do check this tutorial out. It's pretty short, but pretty good. Okay, continuing, we got React context uh, without context using X state. Uh, this is sort of a very brief tutorial on how to use X state to manage your state with React, basically nothing super complex or super fancy here. It does show the use case with a basic uh, authentication, the use auth hook that the, well, this is from their blog, basically. Um, yeah, you know, it's a nice tutorial. X state is an amazing library and it works really well with React. So if you were curious on uh, how exactly to use X state with React, do check this one out. It's a pretty decent introduction. Continuing, we got improving JavaScript performance with GPU.js. This is a pretty nice write-up on uh, the GPU.js. I've never heard about it. It's uh, general purpose programming uh, based on the GPU, basically. Uh, this one is specifically the library written for JavaScript that allows you to do various math stuff uh, on GPU from JavaScript, which works surprisingly well, actually. And uh, yeah, this article basically explains what GPU.js is, what GPGPU uh, approach is, how does it work, and how do you get started in a very simple manner. Basically, there's nothing, you know, too complex in here. But as an intro and tutorial, this is a really good one. So if uh, you are interested in the topic, do absolutely check it out. Hey, Pego, welcome to the stream. All right, continuing, we got to transform your website into a progressive app app. A really, really good write-up that essentially guides you through all the steps you need to take to transform your existing website into a progressive web app. So, you know, starting from manifest JSON to service workers to different icons, configs, whatever, basically everything you can imagine that you have to do when you are converting or I guess creating a new web app from a progressive web app from scratch is here. So if you have a website and you wanted to convert it to progressive web app and you didn't know how, then this guide is absolutely for you. It's pretty long, pretty extensive and covers, I think, pretty much everything you got to know about that. So there you go. 
Okay, last thing we got here is the article titled GitHub Actions to Securely Publish NPM Packages. And uh, just as it sounds, it's basically talking about setting up your Node.js project uh, that uses GitHub Actions to publish your NPM package to NPM while also using two-factor authentication and all that kind of stuff. Um, if you didn't know, the uh, NPM finally recently, I think it was like a month ago or something, they finally added a way to generate specific CI tokens while you have 2FA enabled so that you know you don't have basically any risk of, um, well, or I guess you don't, not that you don't have the risk, you actually minimize the risk, right? Of uh, breaching and someone stealing your token and stuff like this. So this article basically does a good job of outlining how that all works, how to set it up, and what exactly do you need to do to publish your package from GitHub Actions, which is super convenient, by the way. So if you're not doing it, you should be. Okay, that's it for the getting started section. Now we are getting to the articles and news. We do have some cool stuff here as well, starting with how Netflix scales its API with GraphQL Federation part one. So this is a multi-part blog that talks about the query federation, in this case specifically within GraphQL. So Netflix seems to have adopted the GraphQL quite heavily and uh, they have some really cool use cases here. So this one, this article specifically talks about the studio API that works with uh, sort of the data they have on uh, movies, on studios, on people, talent, and so on and so forth. And uh, how they basically, because all of that data is distributed, right, federated, so they have to actually um, support federated querying and they need to scale that, what is more important. And uh, there's like a whole story in here, how they first just did it in a stupid, straightforward way. And obviously, you know, they encountered problems with performance. Uh, the more data they had, the more people that used it, the more load there was and so on and so forth. And how they approached the so sort of solving the issue of performance, the federation and all that kind of stuff. It's a fascinating write-up, really, really cool stuff. Um, I guess normally most of people won't actually have to deal with that, but if you are working on either extremely federated data sources or, you know, the GraphQL query, uh, what do you call it? I mean, yeah, federation is basically the word, right? So if you're working with any of that, absolutely do read through it. There's some really cool stuff. Again, if you have even slightest interest in the kind of use cases GraphQL can support, I would recommend reading through that as well because it is really, really cool. Like, it's fascinating to see the level of federation they have in some of those things. So as far as I understood from this article, they not just fetch different entities from different services, but they actually have services for specific properties of some entities. Like the movie title is fetched from the movie service, the movie production is fetched from the production service, and so on and so forth, which is just kind of crazy when you think about it. But as far as I know that, you know, the... Um, Using separate resolvers for separate fields is actually considered to be a good practice in GraphQL uh, in terms of optimizing for the performance. But anyway, let's not dive into that. Anyway, if you are interested in GraphQL Federation, absolutely do read through. It's an amazing article and a very well written one. Okay, continuing, we got uh, another article from the Puppeteer team. It's titled Puppeteria, Accessibility First Puppeteer Scripts. And it deep dives into a new addition to the Puppeteer API, which is the new ARIA selectors. So, uh, you know, when you basically query the page, you typically use CSS selectors that work okay-ish, right? 
But sometimes you want to select stuff um, in a more fine-grained manner, I guess. So sometimes you just don't have that working selector for like a submit button. But there is a way to do that most likely with REI and accessibility selectors. And this is exactly what the new API introduces. So basically will allow you to query stuff by the accessibility um, attributes, I guess. Um, REI selectors is what they are calling them. And uh, it actually looks really cool. So the uh, React, the testing library, uh, which includes the React testing library, actually used that approach to querying the elements and it works amazingly well. Like it literally, it, it forces you as a developer to think in terms of accessibility because this is what you're going to use during the testing, for example, which I really love to be honest. And yeah, there's also some additional uh, technical details in here and it actually seems like it has some benefit in terms of the performance because it takes less time to query the DOM this way rather than, you know, querying by uh, CSS selector. So if you're curious, do check out the write-up. It's actually pretty good. Uh, pretty cool to see something like this uh, land natively essentially in Puppeteer itself. So yeah, if you're interested, check the article out. Uh, let me have a look at the chat. What are your thoughts on using React Query Apollo Client or SVR? Uh, how does it scale with Redux or Mobex? So usually, like I haven't used Apollo, React Query. I did use Apollo Client and I did use SVR. But as far as I understand, all three of those have absolutely different use cases. And uh, in case of Apollo Client, you don't usually need to use any other state management. You can literally just use Apollo Client itself and local queries for state management. SVR is super handy for um, data fetching. I, I mean, you, depending on the use case, you probably still will need some state management somewhere. But I, again, I have, you know, I've used it in a very small project, so I don't really have anything to say about that uh, because I, again, you know, I haven't worked with SVR and Redux or Mobex. I haven't worked with Mobex at all, to be honest. Uh, and React Query is something I haven't tried to this date, so we're, you know, cannot say anything here. Anyway, continuing, we got another article. Now, this one is weird, at least for me. So the article is titled Next.js and Google Best Practices for Images, how it relates to web standards. I, uh, the more I think about this article, the weirder it gets. So essentially the article here is talking about the Next.js version 10 that was presented a week ago, I believe, right? And the new image component that they have in Next.js that essentially is drop-in replacement for EMG tag and sort of has all the best practices like lazy loading and prefetching and whatever and results in, you know, better performance and uh, faster websites. And it was built together by the Next.js people or Versal people, I guess, and Google people, which is amazing to be honest. Now, the author of the article here for whatever reason complains that it's bad that we have... Um, a tag or a component within the framework. So it's a framework component that follows best practices and that somehow it's bad for the web. And the more I think about, you know, when I say that out loud, it sounds even more ridiculous because like, it's not, it's not a web standard. It's just one specific framework, one specific component within one specific framework. How is it bad for web? I just don't, I don't get this reasoning. Like I get that. Yeah. Maybe if, even like there's no if here it's just it's just it doesn't make any sense even more so when you look at the component and when you look at the 
uh, well, there's actually there's was quite a discussion of this on Twitter, and the authors of the Next.js had to defend it, which sounds ridiculous. Image component is built upon web standards. It's built. It uses the same EMG tag, right? And it's just like it's it's so weird. I don't know why this exists, to be honest. Uh, for some reason, the author brings up the WebP here and. Like I don't, I still like I. I just I've been trying to wrap my head around this article for the past couple of days, and I just can't come up with a valid reason to complain about a component within a framework that basically makes it easier for developers to provide faster websites. Like it, it has literally nothing to do with web standards, and I'm not sure how it can hurt the web. And this is like. Uh... If you're curious, do check out the article, though. I mean, I wouldn't say that, you know, that some of the points are absolutely valid here. Again, I'm not convinced by the points about the WebP that is, you know, it's bad and everything because it's literally just another format for images. It's open format and it performs better than PNG or JPEG. Um, again, I'm not defending Google. They are known to be, you know, doing some pretty crappy things, to be honest, like the stuff they did with Chrome to just basically force things to be converted into web standards purely because they could is not exactly perfect, but this is just, this case is <laughs> it's just ridiculous in my opinion. I honestly don't know why I covered this article. It's just so ridiculous that I just, I, you know what, let's just continue. Anyway, the next article we got here is Warp, improved JS performance in Firefox 83. So we finally got the warp engine enabled in SpiderMonkey in Firefox 83 by default. Uh, this is the new JIT, uh, basically a bunch of JIT uh, compiler changes that should speed up and uh, improve the performance as well as the memory consumption of Firefox uh, and hopefully bring it on par with Chromium, which, you know, it's kind of will be interesting to see some benchmarks um, because Firefox, while it's a very nice browser and has some very cool features, it was lagging behind Chrome uh, quite significantly in terms of the pure JavaScript performance, which is, you know, it's just nice to have everything super fast, right? And uh, Warp seems like a really good first step. They uh, boast some pretty good performance improvements, so like up to 20 performance improvements, uh, sorry, up to 20% improvement on Google Docs load time, 10 to 12% faster speedometer benchmark, and then 8% uh, less memory usage, which is super impressive considering Firefox is already very lean on memory in comparison to Chrome. So uh, yes, if you are curious about more technical details, there's a ton of them in the article. So if you're uh, you know interested in all that kind of nitty gritty of the JIT and optimizations the Warp is applying, do check it out. I think we covered a few articles from Mozilla Tim before on Cache IR specifically, if I remember correctly. But, uh, you know, this is uh, some really exciting stuff. Uh, hey, Manuel, welcome to the stream. All right, continuing the last article we got here for today is 10 insights from adopting TypeScript at scale. So this is um, an article from the Rob Palmer, who is a JavaScript infrastructure and tooling lead and Bloomberg and also co-chair of TC39. And there is some really cool stuff in here. Like I am, again, you know, I'm not exactly a TypeScript guy, as you might know, and I still have my gripes with TypeScript. Uh, but this article does incredible job of outlining all the things you have to keep in mind and all the caveats that you might encounter while migrating existing code base 
to TypeScript and you know that existing code base is non-trivial and relatively large. There's like a ton of stuff here and all of that is amazing. So if you are using TypeScript or considering using TypeScript, absolutely do take out like 20 minutes and just sit and read through all of that because this article is just gold, basically. That's that's all I have to say about it. Um, again, you know, as a non-TypeScript guy, I cannot really address any of the stuff that is mentioned here, but uh, considering who the author is, I'm pretty sure it's going to be pretty good. Right, um, that's it for the articles and news. Now we are coming to the tips, tricks, and bit-sized awesomeness, starting with the... A new search engine for JS operators. So essentially, this is thing that allows you to look up any of the JS operator syntax in a really straightforward manner and see what exactly that does. So if you are just starting with JavaScript and you don't know what some of those symbols do when you see them in code, like for example, a REST spread operator, like a lot of people who just start out, they're like, what the hell is this, right? And it might be non-trivial to Google that stuff. Um, again, it can be solved in the most cases if when you know what you're doing with a Google engine, with uh, doing MDN and then just using the quotes, for example, right? But that's not trivial as well. This one, this search engine essentially trivializes this and shows you some nice examples, some nice descriptions of what the operator is, how it works and how exactly you use it. So this is pretty invaluable in my opinion for people who just start out or come to JavaScript from a different uh, language. Also, I absolutely hate the binary operators, the bitwise operators, because I never, it always takes me ages to understand them. <laughs> but anyway, it's really cool. So if you are interested, do check out Operator Luca. Right, next thing we got here is intent to remove from the Blink uh, developers uh, HTTP2 and GQuick server push. So Blink is probably going to remove the server push ability from HTTP2 and GQuick protocols which is uh, quite interesting because um, a lot of people were saying that, you know, the server push is basically going to re replace the need for WebSockets and everything and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but apparently, according to the... Um, so there's a pretty big write-up here uh, from the Blink team as well as some pretty long discussion on the... from. Uh, there's quite a lot of input from the people who actually used the HTTP2 push in production. Uh, there was also a pretty big discussion on Hacker News uh, on, you know, the whole, like, situation. So the gist is that HTTP2 as well as GQuick uh, protocol, so GQuick is the non-standard protocol that is used in, by Google, Akamai, and Lightspeed. Apparently, it's sort of the predecessor of the HTTP3 that we're getting soonish, or I, I think it already works in most of the browsers, actually. Uh, so the idea is that they both support this push that can be initiated by the server. So server can actually push something to the client. Um, the problem is that number one, it is incredibly hard to implement. And that is supported by a ton of people in the comments saying they're like, hey, we try to do this. And it's just a huge pain in ass. And there's like an easier ways of doing it with WebSockets or, well, basically anything else. And number two, the statistics they have is just bonkers. Like there is a very, very tiny amount of people and services over all internet in Chrome. So they, they, this is statistics from Chrome, right? That ever like even utilize push at all. So it's like Jigwick was one out of 1.2 million connections. This is the one out of 1.2 million connections that used any push streams within Jigwick, which is like, nobody uses it. So they're like, yeah, okay, so let's just deprecate it. 
so people started with like, what about uh, web standards? And turns out that actually HTTP2 protocol, while it has the push defined in the standard, the standard says that the, you know, it's uh, it's up to the specific implementation and it's, it's optional feature that might not be implemented. So it's perfectly fine to deprecate this. But it is fascinating that even though this exists, it's so complex that nobody basically uses it. Um, again, if you're curious, do look through the discussion. There's some pretty cool stuff in here. And uh, <laughs> I remember reading the discussion on the Hacker News and people were like, well, we did this in our company. and we had so much pain with basically making Safari work with it, because as far as I know, Safari still doesn't fully support that, that we just decided to basically drop it, which was like, yeah, okay, that sounds like Safari, all right. <laughs> it's like Safari is literally new Internet Explorer 8. It's just very painful. Um, but anyway, last thing we got here is uh, this, um, I mean, I would say hilarious, but it's hilarious and said at the same time, the issue opened on the Faker.js repository uh, titled No More Free Work from Marak, Pay Me or Fork This. So Marak is the maintainer and creator of the Faker.js, which is a pretty popular, like really popular uh, JS library for generating uh, realistic fake data in Node and browser that is quite widely used for, well, basically polyfilling or, you know, creating data. And um, as far as I understood, like he had some really bad things happen to him, like his house burned down and then people found some hardware in there. And uh, his neighbors literally were complaining that he's like a new Una bomber or something because people are crazy. Even though he had like some burnt raspberry pies in there. This is at least the gist I understood from the news, which was like, come on, man. It's just like... And uh, yeah, because of that, he was like, you know, fuck it. I'm no longer going to maintain this library because I'm not getting paid for that. There's 27,000 stars and it is widely used. Like if you look at the statistics, it's probably going to be insane. And I'm guessing he's not earning anything from that or, you know, not no, probably not even enough to sustain himself, even though it is used by the Fortune 500 companies. And uh, yeah, the guy had enough. And uh, I feel like, you know, okay, in this case, he sort of, I guess, broke after all this bad stuff happening to him. I mean, it's 2020. But, you know, looking at open source is just a matter of time, right? So all the people who do things for free, unless they are supported by the company they work for, like React and Facebook, right? Or Puppeteer and Google. This is going to inevitably happen to all the open source libraries we have that are maintained or created by just one person. And there is no way around it. And uh, I don't know if anyone, like, I don't think anyone still figured out a way to sustain them. Like the sponsor button is nice and everything, but this doesn't, like, it doesn't really, doesn't really work good enough, basically, right? Because... It's still like, anyway, this is like a discussion for a completely different time. And yeah, I don't, like I'm, I'm wondering if we're going to see the open source solved or the open source funding, I guess, solved within the next 10 years, or if we're just going to see the open source break in the next 10 years. It's going to be interesting to observe. Anyway, that's it for the tips, tricks, and bit-sized awesomeness. Now we're coming to the releases. We got three of them here today, starting with the Socket IO version 3, the new release that basically... Uh, well, yeah, you know, they're, um, I, it's really cool that they basically address why Socket.io in 2020 and list all the cool features like auto reconnection, uh, the room um, namespacing and all that kind of stuff that they support, as well as the ecosystem in other languages if you need those. 
But Socket.io still remains a really cool library and well, you know, they had this fallback to HTTP polling that probably is no longer needed in 2020. The other features it has are still really, really good. And the new version seems really nice. So if you are using Socket.io, make sure to upgrade. If you are not using it, well, do check it out. Maybe this is the library that you uh, really needed for your WebSocket needs, because it does have some really cool features. All right. Next release we got here is Node.js 15.2, the current version. Uh, the Probably the... Um, Highlight of this release is the support for abort signals in write file and read file. So the abort signals were just added to node in version 15. We're finally seeing them being added to the native API, which is super cool, which means you can now abort reading and writing of files. Again, it's probably a very niche, like, you know, it's not something you would use too frequently unless you're working with incredibly large files, but it is super nice that you can actually do that now. Okay, continuing, we had version 11 of Angular. Uh, can't really say much, haven't been using Angular in years now, but if you are using Angular, do check out the release notes. Seems like a pretty good, another, you know, major release. Uh, as usual, they have a pretty straightforward migration path and everything. So, uh, yeah, I guess good for the Angular folks. Right, and the last release we got here for today is Chakra UI React version 1. So it's finally first stable release of Chakra UI, even though before that it was uh, pretty stable as well, I'd say. I'm not sure why they released 1.0 just now. But it's a really, really nice uh, user interface uh, library for React with, you know, themes and a super slick um, design and very nice way to customize it and a whole ton of different components. So if you are looking at uh, doing things in React and you don't want to design your own element system, then do check this one out. It's actually really damn good. So uh, there you go. All right, that's it for the releases. Now we're coming to the libs and demos. We don't have that many of them today for whatever reason, but some are pretty cool. Starting with Mammoth uh, Klee. So this is actually Mammoth uh, Tools set. This is a type safe query builder uh, built in TypeScript with some nice features. I mean, it's like I'm not... Uh, again, I'm not a TypeScript guy, so I'm not sure what the um, advantages here over something like bookshelf or type ORM, for example, which is also type, by the way. But anyway, you know, this the more the merrier, basically. So if you're working with uh, Postgres and you wanted a query builder for TypeScript, do check this one out. This is like a solid project. Continuing, we got SirDB, a Git diffable JSON database on the file system. Uh, I am like, yeah, so it's basically just, you know, the file system, the JSON files, and it basically built in a way to allow you to git diff it in a nice manner, which is pretty neat feature, to be honest. What I am disappointed about is that it doesn't have the please method, which, you know, sir database should have sir please method. I, I don't care what it's going to do, but it should be there. <laughs> I know it's stupid, but it would be absolutely a nice meme. Um, anyway, if you were looking for a JSON database, file-based database uh, that are also built in Git diffable way, I guess there are limited use cases for this, but they exist. Uh, do check Sir out. It actually looks quite nice. Uh, continuing, we got V8Perf. This is a notes and resources related to V8 and Node.js performance. So if you ever wanted to dip dive into the performance underneath of the V8 hood, this has a really nice collection of different articles and documents and um, 
source code and whatever, basically anything related to it. So do check this one out. Another thing we got here is protocore, um, basically binary protocol structures in Node.js uh, in a pretty straightforward way. So you specify the schema, then you build the object from that schema and then it will serialize it into a binary object that is smaller and easier to transfer over the web if you have this kind of use cases. Uh, again, you know, if you don't know why you would need that, you probably don't need that. And just using JSON is perfectly fine. But if you are working in environments that require something like this, do check this one out. Seems pretty cool. Next thing we got here is N8N. I honestly not sure how to correctly read that, but this is an open source extendable workflow automation that looks absolutely gorgeous. So if you needed a tool for, yeah, automating data and, you know, syncing data between 90 plus apps and designing powerful custom integrations by just using drag and drop components, essentially, this is looking really, really nice. So it seems like basically the if this, then that on steroids and in a more workflowy manner, I guess, rather than just a simple integration. And it's all purely open source and on GitHub. So, you know, if you are uh, curious to check it out, what is the license actually? It is common close like, uh, I think it's Apache or something, right? Yes, it's Apache V2. So it's even very, very permissive, which is super neat. So if you are curious, do check this one out. Uh, let me have a look at the chat. Why is the migration needed in relation-based DBs? What if I don't keep track of each migration files? Well, migration is needed because when you change the schema, you have to update your database to the new schema, right? And this is what the migration does. Because it's like, it's not like in MongoDB when you added a key and you basically don't care if it's in database or not, you just have to account for the null values, right? And that's it. In relational DB, that won't work because you have to update the tables physically. So this is kind of the point of it. Um, hi, Tim. Well, to develop something like this, there's something called Reta.js. Reta.js, uh, let me have a look at that. I think I've heard about it, but... No, 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 but Reddit, so this is not, this is visual programming, right? I think I already covered it on um, podcast, but this is basically, this allows you to build those kind of UIs. What the um, N8N does is gives you the full pr platform where you can drag and drop components to build functioning workflows. So um, in this example, you can see basically there's a GitHub trigger and whenever something happens on GitHub, if there is a condition that basically checks something and then either you get um, you get basically two different messages on Slack. So this is a full on visual programming. This is an environment for programming. So it's not just the visual builder, it's the full platform. Like it's literally literally workflow automation, which is uh, super cool. So do I, I should probably start that. So do check this one out. Reddit.js, I guess they probably use something like Reddit.js more like node red uh node red i think node red was yeah was pretty much yeah yeah so node red is uh sort of aims to be the general programming thing so sort of the visual programming uh platform and this is more of a automation tool so it has a more limited use cases right so the, where the node red aims to be the sort of visual programming where you can do anything you want this aims to be more of hey if this thing happens, do that, right? So it's like triggers and reactions to them, basically, with some minor logic in between. But yeah, kind of like that. I was speaking about UI. Yeah, UI, I mean, I'm guessing they probably use something like the uh, Red AJS or something similar because it looks 
We can check. We can check the package JSON. This is the cool thing about the uh, open source, right? You can just be like, "Hey, what did they actually use to build that?" So they use Vue.js to build the front end, and there is Vueprim, Prism Editor, TSLint, Quill, Prism.js, Normalize Vil, Node.js, JS Hint. J I think they use JS Plumb to do that. I think this is the yeah. So JS Plumb is uh, it's similar-ish library to reddit.js but you know it's just i think it's older and and uh has way more plugins and features that you can do with it basically it's very fancy i used it a couple of times so yes they use js plum but it's pretty similar to that uh but anyway if you do think that this is cool do check it out okay uh continuing we got graphql lazy loader a graphql directive that adds object level data resolvers i have had no time to dig into it, but the premise seems pretty cool. So I think I already mentioned this today, but the gist is that uh, there was a pretty big write-up from the PayPal people that was titled GraphQL Resolvers Best Practices from 2018. And what they argued is that essentially you want to write resolvers not per type, as in, you know, the person has a resolver that gets all the data, but actually per field, because then you don't overfetch, especially when you do like very complex stuff. And um, setting up manually is, well, quite annoying, right? Because that means you have to like write resolvers for each field. And in some cases, it obviously works perfectly fine when you're like, you have the different... Uh, things that well when you can optimize per field basis let's put it this way but most of the times you just query your database get a specific name and just return it and it seems like this graphql lazy loader does exactly this so you just pass it the lazy load function to your resolvers and it will automatically generate the specific field properties that will do this thing and then just extract and return one property which again i'm not sure this Super as beneficial as writing your separate resolvers, but uh, seems interesting. So if you're working with GraphQL, do check this one out. Uh, let me have a look at the chat. I'll be excited if I have a graphical tool for graffiti. Uh, I mean, how, why, what would it what would it do? Like there's plenty of GraphQL related tools out there already, so I'm not sure what would graffiti specific tool would be. Uh, can be like Hasura, but for MongoDB and would also be very nice to be able to write custom resolvers easily, unlike Hasura. I mean, the whole point of graffiti is that it basically just abstracts away a few libraries and allows you to write your own stuff. So I'm not sure it will work that well. Uh, hey, Slavko, welcome to the stream. All right. Uh, last thing we got here for today is Notion clone. This is Quite literally a clone of Notion, albeit a very, very simple one. So you have a nice demo, allows you to do this whole slash thing with, you know, heading, hello, and then subheading. Um, yes, uh, very simple, very straightforward. Got the blocks, can rearrange them if you want to. I believe, you know, the whole like blocking and stuff works. Very snappy, very nicely written, um, obviously way less... What do you put, how do you put it? Way less uh, feature reach than Notion because, you know, Notion has been around for quite some time and they have quite a, fun, quite a bit of funding behind it. But it's a very nice uh, demo of how do you build something like Notion. And uh, yeah, so if you are curious how to build an editor like this, do check this one out. This one is built using React, Next and Express with uh, Mongo, MongoDB and Mongoose as a backend. Seems like a very nice editor. So if you were looking for, I guess, a lightweight her notion, do check this one out. 
Right, uh, that's actually it from my side. So if you guys have any questions or suggestions, now is the time to throw them into the chat. If no, then we can just wrap it up here. Uh, while you're thinking on questions, you can, as usual, find all the links on GitHub or on bxjs.dev. You can follow me on Twitter. You can join our Discord server to chat about any of that. Uh, as usual, if you're watching the VOD of this, you can leave any comments in the comment section on YouTube. I will be more than happy to answer them. Um, you can follow my Telegram channel where I collect all the links over the week. Some of them don't actually make it into the podcast itself. So if you're curious about the unfiltered stream, you can do it there. And uh, I think that's basically it from my side. So uh, yes, I think that covers it. All right, I'll give you a couple more seconds to um, think about the questions. Meanwhile, is there anything else I can say? No, then, I mean, you, yeah, you can also listen to this podcast in audio form if you like to. It's on Anchor, iTunes, and I think Anchor basically distributes it to just about any other podcasting platforms so just search for bxgs weekly and you should find it there right doesn't seem like we have any more questions or suggestions so thank you guys very much for watching thank you for your continued support hope you enjoyed the podcast uh and uh yeah that's basically it from my side yes i'm you know doing good and we're going to be continuing with the um next yes task manager thingy next week probably even on monday so we're gonna see how that goes uh time wise but yeah uh do you know daniel schiffman he makes very uh very interesting creative coding tutorials and experiments that can inspire junior developers no i don't really know him but uh or maybe i know his wait a second uh coding train i don't think i do no, I don't think I, I have ever seen him. Discord bots. Nope, don't know this guy. Twitter, GitHub. Maybe, oh, wait a second. Maybe I follow him on Twitter or GitHub or something. Uh, Not qualified for any of this. That's a great bio. <laughs> no, don't know him, but, you know, I mean, if he inspires junior devs, that's great. Um, All the more power to him. So if you are curious about the... Creative coding tutorials, do check out Daniel Schiffman. Seems like a cool stuff. Anyway, I think let's just wrap it up here for today. So thank you guys once more very much for watching. Thank you for your continued support. I hope you enjoyed the stream. Again, join our Discord to chat about any of that. And I see you next week for coding, as I said, probably Monday if I have enough time. We're going to see about that. Right. Uh, again. Have an awesome rest of the weekend or rest of the week if you're watching the video of this. And